Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. excited to introduce to you Sam Rice who actually is in Singapore at the moment so we're doing this remotely and I've been liaising with her for over a year now since I had her first book The Midlife Kitchen and so it'd be really exciting to talk to her about her journey and about her new book that's just well fairly recently been published called The Midlife Method. So welcome Sam, thanks for joining me. Hi Louise, it's actually great to talk to you in real life because like you mentioned we've been messaging and emailing for well over a year and this is the first time we've actually had a conversation so it's really really exciting. (laughs) Yeah, no it's great. So tell me a bit about you and your background. That would be really interesting just to set the scene if that's okay. Yeah sure. So my background is not in health and nutrition which always surprises people and I think actually this kind of midlife reinvention is, is something that a lot of people get quite excited about because midlife is a time where you're rethinking quite a lot of things and you know if you're not in a career that's progressing it's a time to have a rethink and that's certainly what happened to me I'll sort of rewind a little bit so back in 2012 I was living in Brighton my husband and I were running actually a ski company (laughs) completely unrelated and we decided that we really wanted to have a bit of a life change and the kids were quite small at that point and we thought okay we're running our own business maybe we can reorganize things so that we can have sort of a year off a year out take the kids do something exciting and so we decided to go to Bali of all places so we headed off thinking this is going to be a fun adventure for a year and we actually ended up staying for five years wow now when (laughs) it was not planned at all and thanks to the power of Skype my husband found that he could run our business pretty much remotely so that sort of enabled that to happen but when we got to Bali I was actually what I had been doing is I had been retraining to be a wine writer and a wine buyer and that's really how I'd sort of seen my next chapter of life and I'd gone to Plumpton College just outside Brighton studied wine and was all set to go and then we went to Bali and there is no wine scene in Bali no (laughs) so (laughs) I had to sort of shelve that plan but what they do have in Bali is a really fantastic health food scene and mm. so I, I got really inspired to change just lead a healthier life basically I could see all these people around me they were really into yoga they were really into like looking after themselves and wellness is a big industry in Bali and it was just really a whole new world so I got into the healthy eating really as a consumer first of all you know I was going to all these beautiful restaurants that, uh, there was a lot of it was kind of at the start of that raw vegan phase mm. where people were doing quite interesting things with plant foods. I mean, I'm not a vegan or, or even a vegetarian, but I was just very excited to see all this different kind of food to what I was used to. So that was the start of me trying to get my health under control. And then what happened was a really good friend of mine who I ended up writing The Midlife Kitchen with, Mimi, Mimi Spencer, who has written several other books, including The Fast Diet. It's her best known one with Michael Maisley. She came out, she's just a a friend, our kids were at school together. And um, she came out to visit in 2016 and was equally blown away by this health food scene. And during the course of her holiday there we came up with the idea for the midlife kitchen which was basically 
in a nutshell, it was to try and produce a cookbook that was focused on optimum nutrition in midlife, because we'd felt that as we sort of headed into our 40s and we felt like we wanted to make these changes, but we didn't really know where to look. And there weren't really any cookbooks on the shelves that were talking about midlife specifically. So the fact that your palate does change quite a bit as you get older, you Mm. you sort of crave different tastes and textures and the kind of foods that we were drawn to were changing and our bodies needed help in different ways. You know, we needed to think more about the kinds of foods we're eating, eat more plant-based foods. So all of that came together in the midlife kitchen. And we did a lot of research around what kind of foods are good for you. And we found that a very inclusive, broadly plant-based diet was kind of the way to go. And the midlife kitchen came about and that did really, really well. And I just sort of thought to myself, you know, there's something in this midlife nutrition thing. It was right at the beginning of that transition where people stopped talking about middle age and they started talking about midlife. And there was suddenly that more positive angle on being in midlife. And we really wanted to sort of embrace that idea and run with it. Mm. And fortunately, our publishers were on board, this kind of thing about being pro-aging rather than anti-aging. And that was really what we wanted to get across. And I think actually that ties in with your philosophy, doesn't it, of just being really positive about these yeah, changes absolutely. And, and I think you know, midlife is an interesting term, isn't it? Because it's not been around no. forever. It's quite new and it's branded about. And I sometimes toy my mind, what does it mean? How do we know we're in the middle of our life? Of course, we don't know at all, do we? And is it just a polite way of saying perimenopause and menopause? And it probably is, actually. But then I always think about the young women who are perimenopausal or menopausal who were in their 20s or 30s or 40s but you know 20s and 30s are still can be perimenopausal and menopausal still have the same challenges as older women that they wouldn't think of themselves as midlife so it's really hard and also actually I want to stay as fit and well as I can when I'm in my 60s as well as in my 50s which I am at the moment but in my 60s and 70s and then I wouldn't say I'm midlife when I'm in my 70s of course I wouldn't but certainly it's this whole sort of narrative really isn't it about it's not the end of your life because you're menopausal which I think a lot of women have seen as in the past and even now people come to my clinic and say well I've been trying to battle through my symptoms I've been existing rather than living every day I think I'm going to get better or I'm going to get through it and it's like well you'll never get through having low hormone levels they will last forever so I think but this whole perception of anti-aging or sort of slowing down aging I think is really key isn't it because I think when people talk about anti-aging, they think about having some Botox and, you know, plastic yeah. surgery. They think about the physical, how they look on the outside and, and not on the inside. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not about inside. It's that whole inflammatory response that goes on as we get older. And it often can be accelerated by eating the wrong things as well. And it's so easy, certainly, as you know, in the UK, we're, oh, and it's it's staggering we're the fifth or fourth even most obese country in the world. I'm so embarrassed. It's I just know. shocking. And the stats just keep getting worse and worse, yeah. don't they? And that's one of the things I do talk about. So the midlife method came about because the midlife kitchen was all about nutrition in midlife. But mm. I was just 
speaking to so many midlifers who bought the book and they were saying, you know, I really feel like I'm eating quite healthily and I feel like I'm doing quite a lot of exercise, but this weight just keeps on accumulating around mm. the middle and I don't know really what to do. And of course we know hormones are involved and we know certain changes mm. are going on, but I really wanted to research that a bit more fully so that people could yes. understand what was going on in their bodies. And then you can sort of plan the best holistic approach for dealing with that because it's not a question of just going on a diet for three weeks to sort of drop a dress size it's that's no and I think it's very different isn't it you know this time of the year we're now in March the the papers will still be talking about your bikini body <laughs> and there's lots of quick fixes that people can make but they're not going to last for long are they? and I always say I say in the book it's you know now we're not so much concerned about better booties as better microbiomes because absolutely it's yeah. lovely if you can look a bit better in your clothes fantastic who wouldn't want that but actually we're talking about our health span and getting our weight to yeah. a healthy point such that we have those fit active healthy years ahead of us and we can enjoy doing what we want to do for longer so it's got to be a holistic approach it's got to be a long-term view because yeah. if you start in midlife punishing your body with really restrictive regimes and cutting out food groups, you might lose the weight, but you might also be damaging your health. And Absolutely. And I think that's so key. When I was a medical student in the 80s, they just started doing gastric banding and operations. Mm. And everyone thought this was the best thing for obesity. But these poor women, I don't know why it was usually women. Well, I do know why, probably because they were menopausal. But they would come back a few months later and their nails would be breaking, their hair would be splitting. They would be having headaches, just feeling Mm. dreadful because they're not getting the nutrients at all. And in the 80s, we didn't really think about the gut microbes either and how important they are. But but I think your book's very interesting. So the midlife method is is very different visually and also content to the midlife kitchen. And the mm-hmm. midlife kitchen is a very beautifully photographed book with some amazing recipes for anyone that hasn't seen it. And a very simple recipes as well, actually, mm, which yeah, I think is, they, they is really good when you're busy and there's options as well. So well, you, we did want to make them really doable because yes, the one thing I hear over and over again is a lot of this kind of health food and health food cookbooks have a million ingredients and people just cannot be bothered to be soaking beans and doing this, that and the other. So we have a thing in the book called the Midlife Manifesto, which was kind of our guiding principles for the book. And, and one of those was that they be very doable. So you can just yes. open the book and you're like, yep, I can make that. Yeah. And it actually is. And I actually, I don't eat meat and um, I have three children and a husband and they do eat meat. So I cook differently for them and for me. And mm. well, two of my children have just got, or th- all three actually have just gone back to school, and, <laughs> um, which is lovely. But, you know, the last few months I've been cooking again for everyone and the older two are teenagers so it's like having three adults as well so I'm constantly cooking different things which is fine it's my choice not to eat meat but I um to have something that's easy as well and that will mm. last as well so a lot of your recipes I can do double and then they'll last yeah as well, exactly which is, which is you know it's just say to people you know leftovers is kind of money in the bank isn't it so absolutely yeah totally. so, in the fridge yeah but the midlife Method is interesting because it's a bit more like a sort of textbook, really. There's a lot of factual information in there. You can see the research that you've done. And I think it's really key because you do touch on hormones, which obviously is music to my ears. But you also talk about exercise as well and and also some narrative about you know, the types of food to eat, about the gut microbes, everything else. Because, you know, I think in the past we used to think as food is fuel. And of course it's fuel. 
But then we've been sort of punishing ourselves with food, thinking about weight loss and everything else. But actually, food should be pleasure. Mm-hmm. But it should be pleasure not just because we enjoy the taste, but actually it gives us freedom to have a really healthy life. And I think that's what I got out of the book, which I hope is something that you had, had hoped for as well, because I think it is really important that we see food in a much bigger picture and what it can do for us and you know we do change our metabolism changes but our enjoyment of food should never change as we get older should it no I mean I always say that my main aim with the midlife method is to enable people to manage their weight through a love of food and actually it's a very food focused book so Mm. whereas a lot of diets are about don't eat this and don't eat that This is very much about focus on all the amazing things that you can eat that are really delicious and satisfying. And, you know, the things that aren't so nutritious for you doesn't mean you you can never eat those. It's a balance. So there is room for everything as long as most of the time you're eating the right things. And it doesn't have to be diet food, as people might associate. You know, it can be really gorgeous, healthy food, things that you would look forward to eating. And I hope that when people pick up the book, or like you say, there is it is a textbook in that sense, because I wanted to give everyone the background to why we tend to put on weight in midlife. So that it's kind of like knowledge is power. Once you know what's going on, you can address those things. And that's why I wanted to speak to experts in their various fields about this, because although I'm a food writer and I do have a nutrition qualification, my main um, skill is recipe developing, developing healthy recipes. I'm not a hormone expert, which is why I spoke to you, because I wanted to have experts in the field explaining why these things are um, important. And also, the other thing I'd like to say is that food is very, very, very important. But when it comes to your hormones, it's not an HRT replacement. So there's a lot you can do with food. There's, yeah. there's loads you can do with food. But if you're having very difficult time in your perimenopause, you do need to actually go and talk to someone like yourself. And it may be that you have to go into hormone replacement therapy. And that might actually help you with the weight gain that you've been experiencing, perhaps. So it's not a substitute for that. It's another layer. Absolutely. And I think that's really important, Sam, to sort of reiterate, because there are a lot of people out there saying that you can improve your symptoms with food. And actually, you know, the menopause is about a hormone deficiency. And some people, obviously, who have spicy foods that trigger a hot flush, of course, it makes sense to reduce spicy foods. But actually... The reason that they're having a hot flush is their oestrogen deficiency. So even if they have a hot flush or not, they've still got an oestrogen deficiency. So it's also looking at how food can help with your health. So whether you take HRT or not is a completely different conversation. Mm. Because, you know, if I take HRT, which clearly I do, fine, I still eat healthily. If I don't take HRT, well, actually, I need to eat healthily because I've got this risk of heart disease, osteoporosis, dementia, which all can worsen if you don't eat properly. So actually, food is important, whether you take HRT or not. And you're absolutely right. A lot of women push on weight because their body's craving estrogen. And the fat cells are produced more because they want to try and help by producing a really awful type of estrogen, actually, in yes. fat cells. But and you shouldn't really, you know, you can't really counteract that kind of weight gain just by simply cutting calories because you're not really getting to the root of the problem there. So yeah. what I wanted to do with the midlife method is say, you know, this is an effective way to lose weight, assuming that you don't need 
any medical interventions. Yeah. And the way we can do that is by being very inclusive. A lot of weight loss programs tend to focus on things like cutting out carbs and cutting out food groups or, or eating within certain time frames or what have you. And that can suit certain people's psychologies, but it's not necessarily the most sustainable way of doing it. And I do think that you do need a supply of complex carbs within the context of a healthy, balanced diet. And it does help to support your endocrine system and all those things that are going in, on in the body. And it's not about reducing it to certain foods like, you know, if you eat broccoli, it's good for hormones. Or if you eat soy, it's good for hormones. Mm -hmm. They do have elements to them that can be beneficial. But really, it's a synergy of everything that you're eating that's important so that you get the variety of the plant-based foods, that you're balancing your macros so you have some good carbs, but you also have plenty of healthy fats and you have a decent amount of protein to support your muscle mass, et cetera, et cetera. So this all ties into it. And what I've tried to do in the book is say, this is all the kind of sciencey stuff. This is sort of what's going on. But actually, I've done all that thinking for you and I've put all that into the recipes so that you don't really have to think about whether you're getting 30% protein in this or 20% fat in that. No one can live their life in that way. And no one no. can be constantly counting calories either. So while calories are important to the weight loss equation, it's more about having a calorie awareness rather than mm. a strict kind of calorie counting mentality. Yeah, which is so important because there are different types of calories, aren't there? If I had 100 calories of cashew nuts or 100 calories of Mars bars, it's going to have different effects in my body. Yes. But there are a lot of people that starve themselves because they're so worried about the weight that they've put on, which actually can make things worse as well. So what are your sort of successes then? What feedback have you had from women that have managed to either lose weight, not actually always lose weight, it's about changing the shape of their body as well. Mm. But what have people said that has really worked for them? Well, if people are really interested in this, they can go on my blog, which is midlifemethod.co.uk. And there's a lady on there called Jodie, who has been my, I call her my midlife method guinea pig, because <laughs> I really wanted a real life example that people could mm. see someone doing it in real time and you know talking about the challenges. And she's got This lady has two teenage sons and she works full time. So she's a busy lady. And so the book contains a four week plan. You don't have to do it that way. But if people like structure, then there's a four week plan you can follow. And she did the four week plan in January. And every week I checked in with her and we did a blog post together. And she started off about a stone over where she wanted to be. And it took her two months to lose that stone. And I've just literally checked in with her. I did a blog post this week, actually, just to sort of catch up with her two months down the line. She's managed to keep that stone off. And she said the main takeaways that she had from it, the two main habits that have changed are meal planning. So actually planning what she's going to eat, mm. looking at the recipes on the book on a Sunday. She shares out the cooking with her sons and her husband, which I think is incredible. I mean, well done you. Yeah. She actually got her teenage sons cooking from the book. And she said, not only does that mean that she eats healthily the whole way through the week and she's got you know soups made for lunches and things like that, but it also is, there's more family harmony because they know what they're going to cook. They know when they're going to cook. And she said it's just sort of taking all the resentment out of her kitchen life. And the other thing she said that she took away was that she realized she was basically eating through sheer force of habit. Her portion size was too big. And actually, mm. she could be satisfied with less. 
And that's one of the things I talk about. So there are five elements of healthy eating that I talk about, one of which is the calorie awareness that I mentioned before. Another one is this volume control. Whereas if you think about just eating perhaps 20% less across the board, which is kind of an easier thing to do, you can retrain your body to be satisfied with less. And it has a really big impact. And she said she's actually, when she thinks back to it, she's astounded at the fact she would have like two thick slices of toast slathered with butter, whereas now she can easily just have one and a scraping of butter. And it sounds like a small thing, but I think she was just had got into lots of habits and lazy Mm. ways of eating and was just eating more than she needed to. So that's just a couple of really small examples. I mean, there's been loads of other ladies who've contacted me um, and men, men, are doing this, but it's usually because their wives are getting them to do it. So uh, it's not a book specifically for women. I do talk about men in the book as well. So if there are any men listening, it's not just for the ladies. But you know, just having a lot of feedback to say the main benefit with it is it doesn't feel like you're on a diet because even though the recipes are calorie controlled, because I've been quite careful to do that you feel like you're eating proper food in decent amounts and you're eating three proper meals a day. So it doesn't feel like you're depriving yourself and it doesn't feel like you're eating weird diet food. And I think that's really the recipe for success because it's a way of eating that you can sustain and you can carry on into the future. And, you know, once you've hit your sort of happy weight, I call it, whatever that is, and, you know, we're all different, but whatever your happy weight is, then it's a really easy thing to then maintain in the future. Once all those switches have flicked about volume control and eating with awareness and, you know, what foods are calorific, which ones do I need to limit? Because quite often even healthy foods can be quite calorific and it doesn't mean don't eat them. Of course, you should eat nuts, but you shouldn't be eating a whole bag of almonds every day, for example. You know, it's about understanding where your energy is coming from. And sometimes those are just little light bulb moments for people that can have a really big difference in how they eat going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's so much pressure to lose weight, but lose weight quite quickly and just sort of have really quick wins. But it, you're absolutely right. And it's it's adjusting so that you can continue because there's so many people, men and women, who do these yo-yo diets. And every time they yo-yo, they actually usually a few kilograms more than their first weight. So they lose mm-hmm. weight. Great. Goes back on. And then there's this mental turmoil that goes mm-hmm. on and then they spend their whole lives thinking about food mm-hmm. and you know it's I love food but I don't want it to be taking up most of my life I've got the menopause to think about obviously but, <laughs> yeah. but I also I'm very busy so you're absolutely right I plan my food I know what I'm going to have for lunch and supper for the next two or three days and often it's because I've made a big batch or I've made for the freezer so it's just there so if I'm hungry the last thing I'll do is go and eat a biscuit because it's an empty calorie in my mind. So I'll eat my supper slightly earlier if I'm hungry and then it will fuel me until the next day. Yeah, and that all comes back to this idea that also I talk about a lot, which is eating with awareness. In another way, it's mindful eating, but sometimes people get a bit confused about mindful eating. What is that? So I prefer to call it eating with awareness. So all those things that you just mentioned about you know, just grabbing that snack mindlessly, or you know, your meal time isn't that far off. So just have a glass of water and dinner time will be around. Quite a lot of that mindless eating is just habitual. And it's once you break those patterns of behavior, that's really the key. And 
is things we can all do if we're tuned into our appetite and tuned into what our body needs nutritionally. And that's just that's kind of just practice and repetition. And so that's why this book's called The Midlife Method rather than The Midlife Diet, because I don't want it to be something that people do for two or three weeks. I want it to be a process of change so that those kind of habits can become second nature and ingrained. And you get to the point where that is just how you live your life. And then the weight will naturally stabilize and stay at a level that you're happy with yeah and I think that's so important and so true and um people can get very their routine can change quite quickly and then their routine with food can change and we're just hopefully in the UK coming out of such a horrendous time with COVID and lockdown and working from home and I've read so many different reports about the weight gain that's happened across the country for children for adults and when you're not busy food can fill up a gap can't it and um, I think the first lockdown we did a lot better with exercise and so forth whereas this time people have just hacked off really well, and yeah and stressed and sad and so it's going to take quite a while for people to relearn their eating habits aren't they I think yeah it was interesting so this book actually came out in December because traditionally as you know January is the month where people sort of jump on the healthy bandwagon and say in publishing terms weight management, weight loss books generally come out end of December, beginning of January, and mine did. But it was interesting because there was a very different pattern this year because as the book came out, the lockdown 3.0, or whatever they call it in the UK, <laughs> happened. And I think yeah. people just like, oh, I'm not sure I can really focus on a lifestyle change when we're just about to go back into lockdown. Yeah. And you know, fair mm. enough. I mean, I think I would have been a bit like, I've just got to get through the day. So I totally get that. And actually, I wrote a piece for The Telegraph last week, which is kind of marches the new January, because everybody feels now that they're, you know, they do feel a bit more hopeful. They do feel like they can refocus on their health goals. You know, the kids, like you say, just gone back to school. So there's perhaps a little bit more leeway there to think about yourself and your own sort of health objectives and so it's actually been quite interesting with this book it's sort of almost having another lease of life now in March as people sort of switch back which is so important absolutely I think also there's a big narrative and we've known this for a while but thankfully the media are just learning or talking about it is about obesity is such a risk factor for mortality from covid we've known this for a while but actually it's a real wake up you know none of us want to die but none of us want to restrict other people because of covid so we have to take responsibility i really feel i mean you know you can argue that the government should mm-hmm. take some responsibility but we as individuals have to take responsibility for the obesity rates and it's very easy to eat badly and it's very cheap you know bad food doesn't cost much money but actually good food can be cheap if you're clever with it as well but it's yeah. it's actually relearning isn't it what you can turn into a meal with not much money and not too much effort and certainly a lot of your recipes are not expensive recipes are they not at all and it's all very normal ingredients mm. there's nothing in there that's going to scare the horses you know you don't have to go to obscure healthy yeah. shops it's all just carrots and tomatoes and yeah just things that you're going to find on the shelves and I do think actually a lot of there's a lot of this sort of time poor narrative and there's a lot of this sort of, you know, it's too expensive to be healthy narrative. And I think quite often, is that just blurring the picture a little bit? Is it really just an excuse not yeah. to sort of face up to this issue? Because it has to be faced up to. And I think the one thing that COVID has done is made it okay to talk about obesity yeah. in a health context. Because I think before it was always 
if you talk about obesity, it was getting confused with fat shaming yeah, and all this kind of thing. And it's not that, you know, when I talk about obesity in the book, I'm just talking about it as a condition, you know, for whatever reason, people might find themselves obese. And there, there can be lots of reasons for that. And they do need to be addressed. My book is quite a mainstream book so it's for the likes of you and I midlife women who who might want to drop a few pounds but if you have more serious issues there might be psychological reasons anyone who's got an underlying medical condition or if they've had eating disorders in the past they might just need additional help and support and you know the government needs to make that support available Mm. so that it operates on two levels and I did notice this week actually in the headlines that um the government or Boris had announced a hundred million pound obesity fund that was going to be made available for tackling the obesity crisis, which is great. They mentioned slimming schemes that slightly had me worried. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> what form are these slimming schemes going to be? But I hope that they will consult with the right people and actually get some programs going that are going to be effective and do target the education side and don't just focus on gimmicks and no yeah it's it's a very fundamental issue and it needs to be tackled properly so there is an opportunity to do that and there is a conversation happening about obesity now which I think you know has to be had absolutely and I think it's important but you know as a healthcare professional I had very little training or education about food and about nutrition about the health benefits of eating well and sadly it's not really changed over the last 30 years or so that I've been a doctor and it's a real shame because it's a missed opportunity. You know, every single patient I see, I will ask them what their diet's like. And they're quite shocked actually, because we know from some study we did, even menopausal women, only 24% were ever asked about their nutrition or their exercise, which for me as a doctor, it's really important because you can't just look at one thing in isolation. And it has such a knock-on effect to health. Generally, you know, we're talking about in the context of midlife weight gain, but in terms of eating well, just generally for your overall health at whatever age you are. I would have thought it would need to be the starting point of most GP discussions. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, you know, obesity has now overtaken smoking as the commonest cause for all cancers, which is quite scary. Mm. So there's a lot that needs to be done. And so certainly buying your book is a real starter. So either the midlife kitchen or the midlife method, or both of them actually, are well worth having on your bookcases well I just hope it helps people to get over that midlife you know you get stuck in that midlife rut with your weight and just don't know what to do and I just want people to approach it in a really positive way I just you know hate to think of women going off onto these crazy fad diets and you know it just becomes so all-encompassing it's such a toxic diet culture and I just want to turn away from that and say you know you just don't have to go down that road just embrace healthy eating and not only, I mean, the book is called The Midlife Method, How to Lose Weight and Feel Great After 40. And the emphasis is as much on feeling great as losing weight. Yeah, brilliant. So thanks ever so much for your time today. It's been really informative. So thanks, Sam. Thanks so much. Just before we end, could I just ask for three tips? So I always do a sort of three take home tips. So you're not going to squirm out of that. So if um, I could just <laughs> ask for three tips for women who have and men who have listened to this and think, right, what are the first three things I can change to really go on the on the road to a healthier diet that might help or a healthier food plan, if you like, that might help me lose weight? Well, I suppose the first one, if we're talking about food, 
I would strongly urge people to think about the balance of the food that they're eating. There's so much chat about restrictive diets. And I really want to, I mean, of course, if you're allergic or you have any kind of intolerance, you, you do have to be restrictive or for ethical reasons. But I would urge people to not just cut things out of their diet willy nilly because they've read something that there are certain benefits. Generally speaking, for most people, having a healthy, balanced diet with complex carbs, lean protein and healthy fats is the best way to go. So that's the first thing. I think exercise, I want to talk a little bit about exercise because that underpins all of this really. And I think a lot of people in midlife particularly miss a trick in the fact that they don't do any strength training. So I, I speak to a lot of midlife people and they are doing plenty of walking and you know might be doing a Zumba class here and there, but they're not actually doing any strength work with weights or resistance. So that's another thing. And I think my third thing would be to just embrace the eating with awareness that we were talking about. Eating with awareness isn't about being picky and choosing certain foods over other foods. It's actually giving yourself permission to eat well. And that's, you need to give yourself permission to eat well, allow yourself to enjoy food, allow yourself to choose those foods that are going to nourish your body and actually make you feel fit and well. So I think those are my three kind of midlife method messages, I suppose. Brilliant. I think that's so important. And, you know, we are totally in control of what we eat. No one else can control us with that. So it's really important we do take control. So thank you ever so much today, Sam. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks, Louise. Thanks so much for talking to me. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, you can go to my website, menopausedoctor.co.uk, or you can download our free app called Balance, available through the App Store and Google Play.